this is Ben Smith. I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hello people, this is Ben. This is A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers, my podcast, as you probably know. And it's nice to have you along. Thank you for tuning in to episode 176, uh, which features Al Bazzari. And I'm going to introduce Alba, as is customary, in a minute. How are you doing? Are you doing all right? I hope you are. I am still in the process of editing the Chico Hot Springs special. So um, hopefully I'll be able to bring that to you in two weeks' time. Two weeks ago, I just got back from there. Uh, You might remember uh, me mentioning that I had a cold. And I didn't have a cold, I had COVID. So yeah, I've just spent almost two weeks um, recovering from COVID. And I'm fine, actually. I just feel really tired and also quite nauseous, which is kind of weird. And uh, a little bit unpleasant. But yeah, um, there's a lot of tiredness. So yeah, I'm all right. Uh, That finally happened. Took two years, but um, it caught up with me. Probably on my way back from Montana, I would imagine. So yeah, um, and this uh, chat I had with Alba, um, I did... When was that? Almost exactly two weeks ago just after I got back, thinking I had a cold. And as I mentioned on the members episode, we were going to do it remotely on the computer. And then we both realized that uh, Alba and I lived about five minutes away from each other. So I got on my bike and went over there um, and uh, felt terrible about having exposed her to my uh, infectiousness. But um, as far as I know, she is still fine. So I think we got away with it. Anyway, that's the uh, medical update. What else have I got to tell you? This episode of A Small Voice is, of course, sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, the monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts that brings essential limited edition and hard-to-find photo books to your doorstep. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal Book Club selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors, whether they be long-time enthusiasts with a stock library or novices just beginning to build their collection. Join up as a member at charcoalbookclub.com and each month you'll receive a new museum quality first edition monograph to add to your shelves, handpicked by Charcoal's team of expert curators and signed by the artist along with a signed note card and an exclusive print. Sometimes the book of the month will be a classic title every bibliophile should own. Other times it will be a new release from an emerging artist poised to make big waves. They offer free shipping to the UK, Canada and the US and members also get exclusive perks such as signed copies, access to rare titles, members only pricing in Charcoal's online bookstore and more. All of which makes the Charcoal Book Club the best, easiest and most exciting way to stay up to date with essential work in contemporary photography. I'm going to update that read one of these days. I, I promise you I will. Me and Jesse will get on it. I'm just checking what's coming because I seem to remember a book I looked at when I was at Chico. It's going to be book of the month. Hold on. Recent books. And uh, Yeah, so Lune Rouge. The full title is Lune Rouge et autres animaux familiers. So that's Red Moon and Other Pets by Dolores Marat is going to be uh, the next book of the month. And I had a little flick through that and it looks really good. So I am looking forward to seeing that. 
All right, so uh, now Alba. Alba Zari is a visual artist working for photography, video, and... Oh, by the way, sign up as a member at pod.fan and you can access exclusive subscriber-only content for the princely sum of £5 per month. That is two cups of coffee per month or one every two weeks, okay? Thank you. Alba Zaria is a visual artist working with photography, video and sound. She was born in Bangkok, Thailand in 1987, where she lived until the age of eight. She later moved to Italy, first to Trieste and then to Bologna, where she graduated from university with a degree in film. She went on to study documentary photography at the International Center of Photography in New York City and then continued her studies in photography and visual design at the NABA in Milan. Alba's photographic practice explores social themes and includes a study of Italian mental health centres, eating disorders in the USA, places, a book and a photographic project which analyses the visual communication of ISIS propaganda, and Radici, a documentary project on the vegetation of the Mesa Desert in Iran. Her first book, The Why, Research of a Biological Father, was released by Witty Books in 2019 and was born out of a journey in search of her origins through the father she never knew. Alba is currently working on an ongoing project called A Cult, a visual study of the propaganda of the cult Children of God, into which both her grandmother and mother were indoctrinated and Alba herself was born. The project will be exhibited later in 2022 and is being developed into a feature-length documentary film entitled White Lies. She released her first short documentary, Freikorp Culture, something along those lines, recently. Uh, so yeah, um, I got wind of Alba's uh, occult project. I think I read about it in the BJP and um, immediately struck me. I'd already met Alba um, some years previously. We met uh, down in Bristol at the Martin Parr Foundation, some kind of a do that was on down there. And so uh, I've been following Alba on Instagram ever since. And uh, yeah, got wind of the occult project and uh, I had to chat with her about it and find out more. So uh, this is... The recent chat I had with Albazari. I was really interested to, I guess, get you on and, and talk about your current project and, of course, the previous one. Both very personal projects. And, um, you know, I guess I saw, maybe I saw the BJP piece about the current project, which is called The Occult. And, um, you know, the immediate reaction is, Wow, wow, that's quite a story that I was got. Because we'd met before, but of course I didn't know anything about your backstory. But at the same time, it feels a bit like, wow, my, the storyteller in me is thinking, this is amazing. But then I'm also thinking, oh, that's a very deeply personal thing. But obviously, the, you know, you're making work about it. So I guess that must mean that you're prepared to, um, you, you know, talk about it. Um, so I hope that, you know, you won't, I hope you'll be comfortable talking about it. Um, uh, and of course the previous project was also deeply personal and we'll talk about that as well you already made a book of that project yes it was called the why exactly yeah and they're linked to each other yeah. in a sort of way very much so i think so so i was thinking how are we going to do it so i'm thinking well really it's it's an autobiographical story the whole thing so we should talk really about you know your kind of life history and then in doing that we also therefore come across all these different uh stories that you have you know made projects out of mm-hmm. um so the occult the current project how 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 is that going because there, there's a lot of research it's a bit like that's very much how you work i mean it's how you worked with the previous thing you sort of playing detective in a way 
Yes, research is part of the work in itself. It's part of the whole process, the use of research and the different uh, tools that are used for, for the research, and then it becomes uh, the work in itself. So it's... Um, yeah. It w- yeah. It's inextricably linked yes, with I, the final project. Yes, then I have, you know, the final, the book, the, the exhibition, but the, um, the process and the research is, is, the, is the main... Um, mm. It's the main yeah. part because it's a it's a life journey, and I, I cannot exclude the other um, steps that I made to to arrive there. And because um, in both of the projects, sometimes the conclusion and is never there. Something the goal doesn't I cannot really uh, achieve it. And then instead of um, getting frustrated, I had a deeper understanding that it's not really the final goal. It's the whole process that right. brings me to closure. Yeah, it's a bit like the journey is the destination, as they say. It's kind of exactly. That, yeah, yeah, it is yeah. true. But as the you're a bit like the detective who doesn't <coughs> find out who done it, you know. Yeah. So there's a frustration there. Yeah. Um, the project you're currently working on. So now you have a show in September, is it? Yeah, I have two shows. Um, the first one is in June at the Photo Museum in Winterthur. It's a group show. It's called um, Chosen Families. Um, it's a lovely museum already showed the first part of a quote there and it's in the permanent collection and uh, um, there will be Nan Golding, Larry Clark so it's a really important group show and I'm very very excited to be part of that and then in September um, the occult will be part of um, Veve, Images Veve That's that's in Switzerland Yes, always in Switzerland yeah. So now, are you going to be con- working on it right up until those the deadline, as it were, or do you feel like is it is it kind of done? Because I know you're working on a book as well. Yeah, I have all the production. I guess I'm I I have it. I'm not going to produce other images. Mm. I think, and and also the archive, all the research. It took me years to have all the material that I have. So I guess um, production wise, I'm I'm all right. And this is why I started to work on the book. Of course, it's a, it's a life story, so I never know when the chapter is closed because you know there is al- always a possibility to have something else that that's happening. But mm. in, yeah, I have all the material I need. I did my my mother's journey in India, and Thailand, and Nepal to take more pictures. But you know, I've been to her cities where she was living with in the cult. But after thirty years, so I. We did her personal journey. And, yeah, I have all the images, and now I'm in the um, phase of creating a book mm. with Ramon Petz and Rem, and Veve is going to images Veve mm. co-producing. And, and yes. Great. So, I mean, you've sort of... You've already introduced the topic. It's, it's, um, it's quite a headline, really, because you were born into a Christian cult, Children of God. I think it's one that quite a lot of people will have heard of. Yeah. It seems to be like because one of the... Because there's some popular, uh, like Joaquin Phoenix was part of it, so there were some very popular people were yeah. raised in, in this cult as well. Yeah, quite a few people were raised in it. They've made a few documentaries about it. I remember seeing a documentary about mm-hmm. it many years ago. Um, but that's really quite quite a headline to, to start with. Um it seems extraordinary, but there you go. Yeah, you, you're kind of not the only one, as we know. I mean, yeah, there are there are some people who have, like you say, who are in the public eye, who've kind of published, made it public. But now, it was your grandmother who was initially the person who who it started with. Yeah, and I think she was in her thirties at that point when when it happened. So, what do you know about 
the circumstances around her being kind of recruited well i think this happens with many people and 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 this is like the the start of looking for something else an alternative way of living uh, probably being unhappy in in this type of society so looking for for an answer and and sometimes the answer when it's not inside you it's outside of you and and yeah she met uh, an american couple and took my mother that was 13 and they and they started hitchhiking and traveling through the balkans and then in uh, southeast asia and to arrive in thailand where i was born yeah and when i was 4 years old obviously um we escaped cuz mm. it was not the right environment mm. and takes time to realize yeah, to yeah. realize it so you and your mum's side of the family are Italian. So your grandma yeah. was in Italy yeah. at the time. Yeah, in Trieste. And she had, she had your mum and two other younger yes, children. Yes. So did they go also, no, or did no, they no. stay? They, they stayed, stayed in Trieste with their father, yeah. presumably. Yeah, okay. my grandfather. Okay. Yeah. Your grandfather. Yeah, of course. <laughs> your mum's yeah. father. And um, so it was just her. She was the eldest, so she was the one who went yeah. with your grandma, whose yes. name was Rosa. And she's still around. She, she's living. Yeah, she's in the Amalfi Coast. Is she on the Amalfi Coast? Yes. Very, well, that's, that's a beautiful place to be. Yes. So then, so they went, I think, initially to Greece, but they, they ended up um, traveling around. I mean, like you say, India, Nepal, mm-hmm. Thailand. 22 years, I think, they were yeah. actually in the thing. Yeah. And you were born in Thailand. Yes, in Bangkok. Um, in Bangkok. And the person who we thought, we think was your father, this is a bit of a spoiler now because <laughs> we're, we're introducing the, the next uh, sort of chapter in a way, but yeah. the person who is your putative dad, he was involved in the cult? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's why... The first project, the why, was the research of my biological father that I never met. And I found out when he came to visit us, because when we left the cult, then after a few years we moved back to Italy. And and he was the one that told me that he was not my biological father. And probably Massad is the only thing I know. And maybe he's from Iran and working for the Emirates was not part of the cult. So this is the reason why... Um, I never met him mm. and the children without a father they were called Jesus babies in the cult and they were served to you know they were meant to be children of the cult and not really have a proper parent so yeah I mean this is one of the kind of characteristics of this particular cult was that they, they encouraged a kind of I know, kind of free sex. Yeah. And basically, flirty fishing was called a practice where the woman went out in the streets, tried to sleep with more men possible, keep the babies, get some money. But it was actually religious prostitution. So. Right? Yeah, that's um, exactly what it was. Let's, yeah. let's, let's just uh, yeah, let's give it a yeah. name. Sharing the love of God, but uh, actually. So, like a lot of these kind of cults, it seems like you know there, there's a there's a huge amount of exploitation going on that that people who are in a vulnerable state mm-hmm. are being exploited essentially there's a lot of sexual kind of you know elements to it um uh, which is why that they're started by men <laughs> but also on a more serious level there's also a lot of history of abuse sexual abuse and and you know sexual abuse of children and minors yeah. that there, there's an encouragement that that's or a kind of narrative that that's somehow perfectly okay now you were only four, so you got you kind of got out. Yeah, uh, they, my my mother and grandmother saved me 
in a way, and that's the reason why we went out. But after that, we never spoke about what happened, about the past, and we just started a new life. But as an artist and as a daughter, I needed to um, to understand more. So also with the book and with the shows, I have two different type of archives. My family archive, with um, interpretation of my mother cutting out my grandmother from the album and sometimes. And, and that's more like an intimate part, but there's nothing in my family about the cult. And then I did my own research with facts, with, um, you know, newspapers, um, all the rules of Father Moses, that he was the leader. So I had, I have also like on this website called ex-members, ex-family members, found a lot of archive pictures from the 68 until, you know, late 90s. So I did uh, a really big research to have um, facts about what was going on in there. Yes, yeah, so, because you'd think that obviously you've got these, you've got the potential for for you know kind of first person um, account because you've got your grandma mm-hmm. and your mum, but um, yeah, I'm assuming they never wanted to talk about it. I mean, was there a point even in your later years where you were curious and you tried to ask them about? Well, it? of course, because I n- I never know who my father was, and and then they told me this is your father that was never around, and then he came back. He's not my actual father. So I had all these questions. And, yeah, when when I was in my late 20s, I really wanted to know. But then I also, you know, a few years after, I also had to understand and respect the trauma and respect why, in a sort of way, they protected me by doing that. But having other tools and having, you know, uh, learn how to to work with art, with uh, um, pictures, and how to, to find closure by myself mm. I stopped asking them so much yeah of course and working more on, on myself and I presume you don't really remember anything from those first four years really and as you grew up did you did it occur to you that you know you'd had a, an extremely unusual to say the least sort of first four years of life or was it just you know I had like some um, some things that last until I was like 11 or 12 years old so when it started to rain I had to go back home because we never went out of the villa. Like children couldn't go out, so I um, I had like a, some things that were different from other kids. Yeah, you you weren't used to rain. You didn't really no. <laughs> know what that was. It was yeah. probably quite a scary thing. Yeah. So t- how did they get away? What was the the story in terms of the actual moment of escape? I never asked that question because I'm doing a documentary as well, a feature film documentary with my producer in late development, and I'm going to ask all these questions doing a, a, a film about oh, wow. about this because okay. it's quite an intense story. Yeah. And I and I'm with photography, I answer my own questions on my own, but I guess that um, with the documentary film that I'm, I will do, I will ask them all the questions that I have. So I'm keeping them for that mm. for that moment. And the camera or the video camera, in a way, is a kind of um, protection for me. Right. You can sort of hide behind it a bit. There's yes, a, there's and a also find a way that becomes my work and have a emotional distance from from it because. Of course, the, the start is very emotional, but then it becomes a work and you have to be controlled and composed. In fact, also the aesthetic is not so rhetorical and emotional because some things are private and you keep them to yourself and some others are, are the work in itself. So mm. to be able to also separate these things, mm. it's, uh, it's important. Well, it feels like that approach that you take, that very 
forensic kind of approach is a way to protect yourself mm-hmm. in a way. You're exploring the story for yourself. Maybe you're exploring your own emotional your emotions, but at the same time, you're kind of maintaining some kind of distance. Is yeah. that is that the thinking behind that approach? Yes, yes. that's uh, the reason. So tell me about this film that you uh, have in. I mean, obviously, I guess we'll we'll see it when we see it. But yeah. where, what stage you are you at? We are that? at the end of the development, so we we are going to start um, shooting maybe this summer. Because you started with with moving, right, yeah. you, you started that, or you, that was more of your origin. I did my BA in uh, Bologna. I studied uh, films. Okay, so you're going Dumb back cinema. to yeah. your roots in a way there. Yeah. Then. Yeah, then my first exam was history of photography and I and I fell in love with, uh, you know, uh, Diana Arbus and, and she was my first favorite photographer ever and, and um, yeah, I did my thesis on, on her mm. and on the history of mental illness. So I was like, okay, photography is my thing. Yeah. But then I, now I'm coming back for, you know, for another approach where I can, you know, have more narrative and explain more things. So mm. it depends on actually what the project is and what I want to say and how to say it. Well, it feels like you, you move quite fluidly between different mediums. Do you even think of yourself as a photographer or you just think of yourself as an artist who as sort of artist, sometimes... And I use, I pick up like, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, today I'm going to use a spoon and I'm, or a fork and right. it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think of myself as someone that uses just one medium. Right, so. right. So... Um, okay, so that's going to be a fascinating story. Now, does your grandma and your ma, do they know that you're going to come and interview them yeah, with a camera? Yeah, they know. Uh, I don't think they're Yvonne. happy, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Needs must and all that. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to do it in the most respectful and sensitive way. Of course. Uh, but also, you know, it's two sides of this uh, relationship that has to work. So yeah. for me, it's revealing things that are important and finding the right way to say it so are you anxious about you know uncovering stuff that is going to be upsetting to you yeah yeah of course yeah i bet of course i'm prepared but uh it's not it's not easy Mm. because we don't know what kind of experience your i mean your your grandma she was already an adult but your mum was just a child she was only 13 That's so we the don't know the experience she had. Upsetting part is, and also the main reason why, you know, after the um, the why, and there was more like researching and looking and also creating um, the father that I never met. Uh, this is more to give my mom a sort of uh, justice because mm. everything has been taken away from her life and she wasn't able to choose. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's to give her like a sort of revenge and justice and respect for the story and everything she's been through. Mm. And what kind of impact do you think it's had? Because it, I, I read that, you you know, you'd said that she was in a psychiatric hospital. She's not well. Yeah, yeah. she's still she's still not well. No. And you think that, I mean, the reason for that is is definitely related to yeah, the, this yes, experience. Yeah, trauma is, uh, you know, living a certain life when you're really young and then not being able to adapt in, in mm. the other life, so... Mm. Many people that have been through this, uh, unfortunately, uh, find it very difficult to to go back to normal if normality does exist. Mm. Yeah, of course. Well, I de- I'm like, 
comparative normality definitely yeah. exists when it yeah. comes to something as as kind of traumatic as that. Yeah. And um, yeah, you mentioned this website. I think it's, I'll, I'll give them. I'll give the listeners the uh, the the address just out of interest. It's xfamily.org is the is the yeah. website, and um, it's it's a kind of forum. Um, it's it's badly organised and it's yeah. a, a bit of a mess, but. There's a lot. It contains, I imagine, quite a lot of testimony from people who've Mm -hmm. been through the experience. So you drew a lot on that, I suppose, for your research. Yes. Um, And so, how you know, in terms as an image maker, what? How did you start to sort of draw on you know the the source material? Kind of, it's it's the same process you went through with the previous project, the why, and we will we will get onto that. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But um, you know, ultimately, you have to find some kind of imagery yeah um t- tell me about some of the things that you did because one thing you did for instance i'm, I'm going to interrupt you before you even st- start the answer but um you did a bit of thermal imaging there's all mm-hmm. kinds of uh, kind of quite creative uh, approaches that you take maybe you could just talk about that a bit yeah so even with the um, archive I took screenshots of the archive. I took screenshots about docu- the documentary of the Children of God. So it's really important to keep it as a screenshot and to and to show that all this research was online. So that is um, is part of the aesthetic of how the even the archive has been produced. So when I um, travel and and there were um, rituals or um, some kind of new age cults that do free love and tantra that I thought was the translation of um, Western people going in, you know, really exotic places and creating another form of cult based on free love and, and sexual awakening and all of, of uh, all of that stuff. I, I wanted to read um, their energy as I'm, of course, for everything that happened in my life, I'm not a very spiritual person, like I'm an artist. So for me, having that filter that is a thermal camera that is used, you know, it's a practical object for um, use from architects to like see where the, the gas or like, you know. Yeah, it's a tool, yeah. It's a tool. And for me, that tool was reading the energy when spiritual people are sharing that energy. And, and that is my also my filter to say, I don't believe in this. Let let me see where is this energy that is shared, and that's the reason why I use the thermal camera, hmm. and I'm saying something by using that tool. Yeah, interesting. So, when you went to do some research and you went to these places, uh, the countries that you you, you know your mum and grandma had been to, did you find people to talk to who'd been through a similar experience? Mm, I haven't really. I'm not sim like not similar because that this cult doesn't exist properly anymore. So I didn't go back to the and speak with people that were in the cult or are still in in that situation. But I just thought about the um, aspect ab- about colonizing in a way religiously uh, another country and creating your own like world and environment as a Western person. Mm. So yeah, so there are some other sort of themes going on. Well, are you you partly interested in um, the medium of photography and and its kind of ability to play with truth and reality? Is that one yes. of the things you're sort yes. of investigating? Yes, in fiction and not fiction, and how much belief we 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 have in photography and and how awareness we have in what is true and what is not. Mm. And and I'm I'm very interested in the medium in itself. Mm. So I have two angles: the personal um, story 
that is very intimate and very strong, and then also a reflection of the medium in itself in the way I use photography. Mm. Well, this comes up inevitably comes up fair, quite a lot, especially now. You know, this idea of, of photography and how how reliable it is, or how how reliable we think it is. Um, Jonas Bendixson, as you might know, just did an entire book, which I talked to him about. Um, you know, using computer-generated imagery and and um, you know, passing it off as as real, um, not with any intention of uh, of continuing that deception, but as a kind of uh, intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. Fascinating thing to have done, and a, and a uh, fascinating uh, kind of chat that we had. But I guess that's also calling into question, you know, the way in which technology and the ability that we have now to create imagery from you know pixels is kind of undermining any idea that we m- might have had that photography is somehow objective reality, even if that ever existed. And what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Do you feel like we're less uh, trusting of the medium? I hope so. I hope so. I hope, I hope so because, you know, the more we use social media, the more we use photography, uh, instead of saying something, we just send a picture. So I, I hope that there is more awareness especially because it's now it's a, it's a language, it's everywhere, and everyone speaks that language. So um, to not be so naive about, about photography, I think it's really important. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So now, um, the other project which you already finished, The Why, mm-hmm. this was, as you say, inextricably linked. They're both biographical autobiographical projects um but the why was more about this journey uh or this discovery that your the person who you thought was your biological father is not now i you i got confused because i thought it was your brother who'd let that cat out of the bag but because were you already 20 20 something 25 something like that but yeah he came back i didn't want to speak with him so he spoke to my brother and my brother then told me okay yeah that's the because you hadn't seen him for for years, yeah. M- most of your life, yeah. he was still in Thailand. He was in Thailand, then he moved to Berlin, and then when he moved to Berlin, he he reached us. Mm. And, and he he wanted you to know for some reason, or he wanted to to be closer. But of, of course, he's still part of the um, the cult that is called Family International today, and and I and I knew how much it would be like dangerous for for my mother, so I I decided to to not you know have contact with him and to protect my mother as well in a sort of way instead of course my brother decided to you know have a father that he never had so two different choices and then he was sort of I can understand why she's reacting like that but I'm maybe because I'm not even her real father Mm. so but I wonder why he chose to after all these years to say you know to, to your brother yeah well because he was you know over 18 so he could decide to come back and I guess to to recruit him in a way to mm. make him come but, back yeah but I'm talking about why he said why he told him the truth about his paternity of you you know that obviously he knew that you'd find out or that your brother would tell you yeah. and that that would obviously be an upsetting experience mm-hmm. you, how did you react when you heard well, um, I had many questions about... Um, the first reaction was like, oh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not part of this, no? Because, of course, at 25, I've done my studies and my own person, and I kind of... It's not about needing a father, having someone that takes care of you after so many years, but it's more about 
for me find was finding my own identity in that moment because I didn't knew where my half part was from mm. so it's the other the why journey is a journey about identity and discovering how um, yeah flexible or how dif- difficult it is to find identity yeah. because I did a DNA test the first test I did was a DNA paternity test on the father of my brother to have approve a fact that he was not uh, my father as well and then after that I did an um, ancestral origin test and the women have two chromosomes that are double X and we don't have the Y and the Y is the um, the chromosome that is linked to my father and I couldn't even with that test find where, where he came from so all the project is you know attempts and failures and Mm. and trying again from different angles yeah and can you give a sense of what kind of impact does that have on your sense of identity when you suddenly find out that you know that person that you thought was your biological father isn't yeah it's a big question mark it's a big, uh, a big lacuna it's a, it's a something that I found I, ne- I need to f- fill now yeah. so a, a bit of emptiness mm. but then I think your mum she at least was able to give you his name, right? Did, yeah. did you go to her and, and the, at that point and ask yeah. her if, what she could tell you? Yeah, she said, Masad, Arabic, don't know if from Iraq or Iran. And he was working for Emirates Airlines, so he was there for a couple of days and yeah. then flying back Yeah, and Bangkok. That's it. And that's it. That's it. That's all you had to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not much. Did you genuinely think you might be able to find him or was it more like you said before about the process? I know that I cannot find him because I did everything I, I could yeah. with this project and in my personal life. And and I had a sort of, yeah, of peace of mind knowing that I tried. And and then let's see what, if life mm. happens. But um, I don't think I, I can find him anymore. So mm. I I have peace of mind. I did. I created him. This yeah, is the whole literally. part of, at the end of this process, I did a physiognomic study that reminds the Lombroso kind of portraits um, with a a large format camera. And then I did this physiognomic study and a process of exclusion with, you know, my my mother and grandmother to reconstruct him at the end and do a 3D avatar with the program Make a Human and then Blender. So I have a 3D, an image of him. Mm. So I created my own father in a way and... Did the project come first, or did you know? And then you realised that that in in trying to f- find him, you'd create a project, or was it the other way around? That the you know the which came first kind of thing. My of course my 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 life in the process of finding him, and as a consequence, the project. Ah. It was like an explosion, and even now with occult, I work in without an order with everything that I have. And, and like it's a big mess and then doing uh, realizing like working on the project I put everything in order in chapters and and I, and I kind of um, you know make sense of, mm. of the things that happen in my life but it's a consequence yeah yeah okay fine yeah that makes sense what was the process of like putting again the imagery that you found the, the kind of stuff that you drew on what kind of things did you use um, so self-portrait was really important and the book ends with me with my eyes closed in the same way I took um, portraits like ID um, cards like 
ID pictures from every different angle to compare the features. Um, but the, the last self-portrait, I have the, my eyes are closed because it's accepting and interiorizing mm. the whole process. Uh, it's, a, it's a mix. It's always screenshot. I did a web research because I found out in 2016 that there is someone that signed my paternity test. So I have a legal father as well that is called Gary Francis Labus, and he lives in America. And, and I did all this investigation to find him, but he lived in Texas. But all the, um, you know, I, all the emails, the letters were coming back, and he wasn't really living there. And then I found a video of him on YouTube. Oh, I wow. contacted the guy that uploaded the video, and he gave me his address. So he's a homeless guy living in Santa Barbara. And I, f and I flew to Santa Barbara, and I took one portrait, and he's blonde with blue eyes, so he's, uh, he is not my biological okay. father. So he, si he signed your birth certificate, yeah. though. I think yeah. you said uh, paternity Bir test, but you meant okay. birth yeah, birth certificate. Yeah, Sorry. so what, what was the story there? That, that's another element to it that's sort of slightly uh, confounding. What, so he was just some guy that... He was there to just literally sign. He, he was, he, yeah, the cult uh, asked him to sign because there were a lot of uh, questioning about all the Jesus babies and the babies that didn't oh, have a father. Right, right, so right. he was sent by the cult yeah, to, to just sign. To <laughs> lend his signature to the thing. Yeah. yeah. But did you, did, how, what was he, as a, and he was, I mean, he's homeless now, so he's obviously. Yeah, he, he lives in a van and he's a paid to a street artist in Santa Barbara. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Do you think that if you hadn't done the Y project, that the occult project wouldn't be happening in a way that that gave you a sort of intro introduction or a sort of yeah, entry into and that? Yeah, and also strength to, mm. to um, also because, you know, the project went quite well and with form and everything so it gave me also the, the the strength the emotional strength and the capacity to say okay this is the biggest story this is the bigger picture and it's more difficult because you know my my mother is everything I have so it gave me the strength to to actually work and start this new project mm. How's it going with the with the book making process for the occult? You're working with Ramon Pez. He's, yes. he's kind of very. His name comes up quite a lot. He's very well regarded. Yes, Ramon. I've never met him. So uh, we're from the same region. So he's from Udine. I'm from Trieste. Aha. Uh -huh. And uh, we were neighbours in uh, in Broccoli in South in South London. London. Uh -huh. So yeah, we started thinking about um, working together. And, yeah. And yeah, I trust him a lot. And he has, you know. And, his way of telling the story as well is not just um, aesthetic, you know, the way of we're, we're going to design this book. So, uh, we're, yeah, we're working on, on the whole narrative and mm. how to uh, work with text and image and to combine the two things. And the book would be like a, a sort of contra-propaganda, so my other version of the propaganda and Bible and... Mm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You've kind of mentioned it. I mean, initially you said that 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 cult doesn't exist anymore. It it, it doesn't in that form, but actually it, it does still. Yeah. It's called the Family International now. Yeah. So like they seem to have. It's extraordinary how these these kind of very controversial kind of organisations kind of somehow manage to hang in there and reinvent themselves and kind of launder their their reputation in some way. Um, I don't know how that's even possible, but it does. They've got. A, a website you know so yeah. it's like how yeah. is that it's even the, a thing um yeah have you, are you sort of because they never think they're in the wrong it's like with narcissist people and behavior they always reinvent themselves and they always readapt so it's part of having a narcissist personality also this cult has a strong of course um 
way of of dealing with that and also never admitting that they did anything wrong. Yeah. Is that something you know something about that kind of narcissistic personality disorder? Because it's, it's coming up quite a lot for some mm. reason that in these days, and it's something I've learned <coughs> about recently. Is that something you're familiar with? In a way, yeah. Mm. In a way. Okay. <laughs> you're not going to say too much. <laughs> no, sorry. Oh, Alba. <laughs> no, it's completely fair enough, and and it's it's your prerogative to um to say as, as as much or as little as you want. And these are incredibly personal topics that we're talking about. So, what else have you got going on now? Aside from all this stuff. Um, how do you make a living these days? Are you do you are you the kind of artist who manages to sort of get commissioned to do stuff, or you know what's your process as far as the kind of boring business of of paying the rent goes? Because I'm always interested in yeah. that, and I think the listeners are always interested in yeah, that. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, um, I do have a few commissions, but I don't do fashion. I don't do really commercial stuff. So the commissions that I have are really in the same line of um, my my language and my art, artistic um, mm. aesthetics and way of saying things. So these are the commissions that I actually um, do and choose to do because in the long term I want to to have um, a rigore. How do you say? Uh, I don't know. My Italian's terrible. Um, a, um, yeah, a way of working that you can see that is almost like makes sense and yeah. is not... Uh, you know, shooting fashion and then doing a personal work, and yeah. So I try to have a, a direction. Yeah, I mean, you're not that kind of. I can't. Yeah, imagine because you got to do what makes sense to the way that you work. You're not that kind of photographer. You're probably mm-hmm. never going to be yeah. that. So you have to, you know, kind of find stuff that makes sense to to your process. How do you see things kind of going? Are you? Do you think you could? You'd end up. I mean, is there a possibility that you might work? in a more conventional photographic sense or are you always going to have you know this kind of other element to things where you're kind of bringing in archival imagery and all kinds of stuff I suppose it's, maybe that's a terrible question because it's impossible for you to know really. yeah yeah I don't know for now I'm just you know taking things step by step and some projects are going well so I'm I'm able to support myself and also I apply for a lot of grants and and mm. and things that help me to you know, to continue my my research, and uh, yeah, I just take things step by step, mm. and I, and and I work on on the things that I really like and want to work on. Yeah, and re- especially now post uh, pandemic, you can't really control the future. You can't plan things, but then uh, you have to also you know have that space of things that go in in a different way and be able to adapt to that. So mm. I just do the things that I'm very passionate and 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 I love and and. That's it. I yeah, think. yeah. Uh, wh- how's it been for you in the last couple of years? I mean, j- just as a kind of overview, um, you you are quite peripatetic. You do travel quite mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, your your mum's in Italy. Your grandma's in Italy still. Um, and this project, I guess, maybe you didn't need to. Well, maybe the travelling part of it had already happened. I don't know. Just give me a sort of overview of of how it's had an impact. Well. It, um yeah, it takes me, in, like my work takes me in really many different places. So um, apart from the archive and the research that yeah, I can do from, from here, from London, from Italy, um, of course, uh, this journey with a court took me to um, Nova Delhi, Varanasi, Kathmandu, like I've been to many places in India and then Thailand. So 
the work has taken me in, in so many different directions, even with the why. Um, doing the project, I found out that I had a legal father, and then I flew to Los Angeles, went to Santa Barbara. So I go where, where life takes me. Yeah, yeah. It's quite an adventure. <coughs> um, it is. So, and now, obviously, this m- film, this is going to be a feature-length yeah. documentary. Yeah. So that's taking, m- must be taking up quite a lot of your sort of... Time and energy, ...headspace. Yes. And yeah. is it quite intimidating to know that you've got to m- produce something of that kind of yeah, length? Yeah, it's a, big, it's a big thing. It's my first film. I did a short film that um, I'm really happy about. And it, the, the nice thing about working with cinema is that you're not alone. So mm. you have... A, my DOP is is an amazing person, and you have that support and that exchange. And and with cinema, it you know the work in itself becomes something else that belongs to everyone because there's the sound designer. Um, when you do the editing, is writing the story again. So it's beautiful how you're not alone in mm. this project. And yeah. it's a different yeah, it's very different. But I have already yeah managed to to understand mm. the. Um, yeah, the differences and yeah. it's much more collaborative. Um, photography is, it tends to be fairly solitary, mm-hmm. unless you deliberately set out to collaborate. But the the filmmaking thing is is by nature collaborative. You can't mm-hmm. really do it on your own. How did all that come about then? What? How are you sort of financing it and that kind of thing? Because this stuff costs well, there's a, lot a producer of that okay. uh, she yeah, that's a job. Yeah, and, and, and you yeah grants ha- and applications. Did you and sort of that. approach her or she? Uh, well, we had a friend in common, and he was the executive producer, and and he he said, I think you should really work with uh, with Manuela Buono Slingshot Films, and and okay, yeah. yeah, so that's it. Slingshot Films is her production yes, company. Yes, in Trieste, in and my hometown as well. Okay. So it's um, it's nice to have that sort of coming back home yeah. with this uh, feature film as well. Yeah, and very cool. And so, um, what's the sort of schedule for that? How how is that going to like pan out in the next months and yeah? Po- possibly I'm a bit scaramantic, so we're going to start producing it. Uh, hopefully, the summer we're going to shoot for a year, and then the editing part will be another six months, probably. Right, yeah. So maybe 2023, yeah, 2024. Yeah, yeah. Let's so it's see. pretty long term. Yes, and uh, what else? What else are you sort of kind of excited about? you know getting to is it i mean i guess that's enough really because that's quite a lot to have on your plate as it is i wouldn't uh, expect you to necessarily have any other projects but are, is there anything else you're thinking about well i'm working um i'm starting to work on um nft oh my god i know it's very like oh dear nft you know but no, uh, no. it makes sense for me with the why i'm doing an nft of um, my father and um, I need to understand the technology and everything. I want him to age with, uh, you know, find a code and, and use this technology again to have an NFT of Massad, a 3D sculpture and a, a mental reality version of him that ages. Mm. So that's the idea. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I mean, very much uh, a, a topic that is of our of our time. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out what it mm. is all about really I suppose like a lot of people I just talked to Rhiannon and Adam I don't know if you know Rhiannon but um, we had a little check in recently talk about her new book and uh, she is another person who knows a lot about NFTs or at least I assume she does since she uh, <coughs> since she has uh, NFTs or sells NFTs I don't even know what the right terminology is 
but I didn't get around to asking her. So I can ask you what, you know, like, what the hell is an NFT? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, for me, it's a way that, um, that uh, it's a protection towards an artist. So in a era with everything is digital, you have a smart contract that actually protects your digital uh, image and you have an ownership. And then when someone buys that it, and it, you know, has more value mm. it, as an artist, you get, you know, it's, I think it's a fair way to work uh, with art in a digital era. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This is my, you know, what I like the most of NFT, NFTs, but it's more complicated than that. And well, I know there's an ecological um, downside to it. I don't yeah. really fully understand why that is. But um, the nuclear, yeah, but there are other like green versions options for NFT platforms. So right. also there, there are a lot of things that are changing in that direction as mm. well really fast. Mm. Okay, well, well, we'll see how that all pans out. Um, I'm sort of, sort of run out of questions right here. So, okay. I mean, if you're happy to, I mean, I could, we could talk about anything else you're interested in covering. But if there isn't anything, you could just... Yeah, I'm happy. Okay. Really good questions. It was a lovely chat. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for talking to me about it. It was really uh, nice to hear the story. And I'll be interested to see the book when it finally comes out of the new project. Yes. And yeah, thank you, Alba. It was really nice. I'm glad we were able to do it face to face because we were about to do it on the computer and then realized that I could be here in five minutes. Yes, so. there were neighbors. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, look, let's do the uh, bonus questions for the members and uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.